Angela, did you have any paid parental leave when you had your two kids? Nope, none. In fact, I was back to working eight weeks after giving birth with both babies. Mm. What about you? I had exactly 12 weeks off for my oldest son, and that was not enough because he was in the hospital twice during that paid leave and I was not ready to go back to work. And then for Mm. my babies, my twins... I had exactly zero days of paid leave because I was self-employed and I live in a state that has no parental leave benefits. So zero days for two babies. Double the baby, zero the pay. This is The Double Shift, the show that challenges the status quo of motherhood. And I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. And I'm your co-host, Angela Garbus. And today's episode is about something that's been in the news a lot lately. As we are recording this, we are at a very big moment where a universal, federally funded paid leave program might, might pass the Senate. I'm hopeful. I'm not holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. (laughs) Um, We'll get you caught up on that and why it's so important. But this episode isn't just about legislative change at the federal level. Right. Today, we're going to hear from listeners who heard our story about a woman who challenged her company's paid leave policy. And, you know, that story, like, got people thinking. Well, hot damn, like, I could do that. Double Shift listeners were inspired to advocate for and get changes in their paid leave policies at their own jobs. We'll hear their stories, learn some of their playbook tactics, and oh my God, here we are at the end of 2021. Angela, it has been a long pandemic. (laughs) That's the understatement of the century. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's the understatement. So let's end the year with something I know that I can use right now, and that's hope. So, Catherine, I I don't think it's a stretch to say that most of our listeners are aware of this. The United States is the only industrialized nation that doesn't guarantee paid leave for workers. So you've been following the drama and all of the details in Washington, and I'm wondering what is going on right now. Okay, so as we were recording this, and, and things are really changing day by day, but a federal program guaranteeing four weeks of paid family leave as part of the Build Back Better Act has passed the House and may be voted on by the Senate before the end of the year. Okay, so great that it passed the House. Is this going to pass the Senate? That is basically the $200 billion question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's, let's pause for a moment and say that uh, four weeks is really not a lot. Not close to enough. You know, for me at four weeks postpartum, which was post-C-section, four weeks I went, like, on my first walk at my neighborhood park. Yeah. And, you know, experts believe that the ideal leave after welcoming a child actually hovers around six months. Right. I just want to say that and let that sink in and ask... Should we feel satisfied with this? So you're correct, Angela. Four weeks is not enough. And no, we shouldn't be satisfied with this. I mean, so I've talked to experts about this. 
And because I've also been really frustrated about this compromise of four weeks. But here's what they assure me. It is a start. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah, it's a, a start. start. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is true. I know this, that this moment to do something at the federal level may not come around again for a while. Exactly. I mean, yeah. This is a conversation I had with myself when paid leave was compromised away totally mm-hmm. briefly there. You know, I had been feeling really hopeful. And so I felt extremely crushed. And then I had to remind myself that this is still a long fight. Absolutely. You know, this also this legislation will cover everyone. Yes. Not the totally patchwork ramshackly sort of system that we have right now that depends on what state you live in and where you work. Exactly. So right now, only around 23 percent of workers in the U.S. have access to any paid leave. And, you know, that number seems small, but it's actually gone up in recent years because a handful (laughs) of states plus D.C., have enacted paid family leave programs. Um, But they're not always easy to access for all workers. Like, for instance, for freelancers in those states, sometimes they have a hard time, you know, getting those benefits. And nationally, low-wage workers are much less likely to have access to paid leave. And also, this is not going to be a shocker to you, Angela, there Mm -hmm. are significant racial disparities in who has access to paid leave. Black and Hispanic workers are less likely to have access to paid family and medical leave than their white counterparts. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not at all surprising to me. So if this plan in the Build Back Better Act passes, that's the beginning. That's not the end in terms of what this country needs. So that means there's still going to be a lot of advocacy needed at the workplace level now and for many years to come. Right. So, unfortunately, we are not going to get the policy we all need and deserve, which is on par with other industrialized countries in one easy swoop. Right. Um, That's the reality we have to accept. Um, I think it's the time for us to dig deep. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a both and situation. This is a push on every avenue situation. This is a creating cultural change through concerted grassroots efforts situation. This is a keep at it and an incremental change situation. Exactly. So calling your senator is important. This bill is important. And also, there are a lot of other ways to get involved in this issue and make meaningful change in your community at the state level or your workplace. And basically, all of these efforts are making a difference and are building pressure and momentum for change. Yes, that is right on. And it's important to remember, like, we need everyone in this fight. Yes. However they can get engaged, wherever they can do it. We need everyone and we need everyone now. Yes, absolutely. So today is all about proving that change is possible. Are you ready to get fired up about that, Angela? Yes, I'm so ready. (laughs) Changing workplaces to make them substantially better for moms and caregivers is possible. Yes. It feels really good to say that. Uh, So yeah, let's get to it. Let's dive in. Back in 2019, we did an episode featuring Erin Grau and how she and a group of other women at the New York Times worked really hard and got a better parental leave policy for employees at the Times. By the way, parental and family leave are often used interchangeably, but they're they're actually not the same thing. <laughs> That's right. Parental leave is specifically about welcoming a new child into a family. 
while family and medical leave can be about caring for yourself or another family member for any number of reasons, including birth, but also an ailing parent or a spouse or just another family member. Um, we're going to talk a little more about the difference later on in the episode. So that parental leave policy at the New York Times went into effect in March 2016, and it included up to 18 weeks for birthing parents and 10 weeks for all partners of a birthing parent and adoptive parents. So for this group at the New York Times, the seeds of their advocacy started really informally with a chat among these women in the cafeteria. You know, we were just talking and I think we were sharing stories about people we knew in other industries. And it was the beginning when, you know, Google and Facebook were offering these really generous policies. And it started with a what if conversation and then turned into a how conversation. Aaron shared how they did it with us. It involved tons of research, building a business case, including how paid leave increases productivity and employee retention, building a coalition of supporters, getting leaders on board, refining and perfecting the pitch, and persistence. It's a really instructional and inspiring episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check out the episode called Paid Family Leave, We Can Do Better. It came out June 3rd, 2019. There's a link to the episode in the show notes. And in the weeks and months after we aired that episode, we started to hear from you, our listener community, about it. And some of you decided that you wanted to do the same thing Erin and her colleagues at the New York Times did. You started advocating at your own companies and organizations for better parental and family leave policies. And in doing so, really challenged the status quo in your own workplaces. So one of those listeners is Amanda Abramo, a 33-year-old living in Massachusetts. Amanda's first child was born in 2017 when she was an associate creative director at a nonprofit. At that point, Amanda didn't know much about the family leave process. I worked up until I went into labor in my office, commuting on the train past my due date because I thought that that's what I had to do. That's what I was supposed to do. Nobody informed me otherwise. Amanda's organization had a convoluted approach to paid leave based on the number of years you'd worked there, and it was capped at six weeks. Amanda used up most of her vacation and sick time to cover the next six weeks. As her return date approached, Amanda realized that 12 weeks was not going to be enough. So she talked to her boss, and she was able to negotiate an extension of her leave. She still had some accrued vacation time to cover the additional time she needed. Amanda realized that if these extensions are up to a manager's discretion, other workers might not be able to negotiate this or even know about the option. Right. It's far from a fair and accessible system. Totally. So Amanda returned to work when her son was 14 weeks old. There were flowers waiting for her at her desk, but otherwise things were pretty much just business as usual. It was very unceremonious. Um, I had unchecked postpartum anxiety that I didn't realize I had until my son was 18 months old. I was pumping four times a day in the office. It was just, it was, it was a lot. And I was hanging on with like Elmer's glue and scotch tape. Like every single piece of my life was like barely able to function. And me as a person was barely able to function, but here's all the responsibilities that I had before. And, you know, for lack of a better term, like a, a little bit of a lack of empathy 
for the situation that I was in, not because they, they meant to not empathize, but just because that's the way it was. That's just the way it was. And that whole situation left her feeling alone and unsupported. I mean, sounds familiar, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> sounds familiar, I bet, to a lot of yeah. people. So Amanda took matters into her own hands. She founded a new office moms group in August of 2018 to provide connection and support for moms with small children in her workplace. So they didn't feel, as she says, siloed and alone. I love this. I love this initiative. This is great. Me too. It's so human. It's so like what we want to do to come together with people. Totally. Right. So after starting this group, Amanda started doing research on moms in the workplace and came across our show. This is The Double Shift, the show about a new generation of working mothers. And so the more I listened to The Double Shift and the more I involved myself in this office mom group, the more my ideas started to spin. And I realized that this group of moms who meet casually once a month in the office could really turn into something bigger and something that had more influence and more involvement. And we could really make change. Like change needed to a parental leave policy, Amanda felt was antiquated. And she wasn't the only one. That's right. Coworkers she talked with said their leave was too short and that they were not ready to return to work. And it was a huge financial burden to have to take six weeks or more of unpaid time if they didn't have PTO stored up. So by mid-2019, Amanda had started a committee to address the leave policy. And it was at that time, too, that I listened to the Double Shift podcast with Aaron Grau. I never thought about parental leave before I became a parent. Aaron Grau is a And I just decided to buy LinkedIn Premium so I could reach out to Aaron Grau, and it worked. She responded to my message, and she said that she would love to have a conversation with me. She gave me a lot of really good information. She gave me a lot of confidence to know that this is something that, even though it doesn't exist in my company... Why can't I be the person to spearhead this? And why, why does it have to come from the top? Why can't it come from the mid-level position that I was in? We'll hear more about the attitudes Amanda faced and how she still managed to make change. That's coming up. So one of my personal obsessions that I think so many families should consider is co-housing. Our episode, Don't Call Me Mom, Call Me Ted, was set in a co-housing community, and we've also talked about it in other episodes. With its common spaces and strong community, it offers kids freedom and independence to roam and connect with nature that is honestly hard to find these days, all with loving neighbors invested in your kids' lives. Right now, there's an opportunity to actually get in on a great community that's about to start construction. Co-housing ABQ owns four acres of land along the beautiful Rio Grande, just minutes from downtown Albuquerque. The community already has 12 kids and many aunties and grandparents, and they've supported one another through COVID and before, creating a culture of trust, fun, and care. All they need to be complete is you. Go to cohousingabq.org slash the double shift to check out their website and sign up for an info session. Honestly, browsing this website, this place looks really dreamy, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes me want to pick up and move to Albuquerque. So go check it out and learn more about how co-housing ABQ can become your village. That's cohousingabq.org slash the double shift. It's also linked in our show notes. 
Hey, Double Shifters, it's Catherine. I am so glad you're enjoying our rich back catalog of episodes. And as you may know, we aren't putting out new episodes right now, but we're doing some really cool work we want you to know about. And we'd like to stay in touch with you. Please sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is full of great storytelling and ideas about the forces that shape family life in America. To sign up, go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. Also, we have a robust member community that's full of amazing moms from all over the world with Zoom hangouts on super interesting topics like creativity and challenging the status quo at work. We're building more and more ways for you all to get to know and support each other. That's just so important right now. We're also planning some great member benefits like audio newsletters. So if you particularly like connecting with us through listening, it's a great way to keep double shift thinking in your ears and in your life. Also, we are a scrappy small business and your support helps us do what we do. Thoughtful journalism that tells important stories and challenges the status quo of motherhood and beyond. To become a member, go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. So remember, sign up for our free newsletter so we can stay in touch with you. It's thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. And consider becoming a member. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. Membership starts at $5 a month. Thanks. And we're back talking about paid parental leave. So when Amanda Abramo wanted to change the parental leave policy at her organization, she didn't just reach out to other moms. She also wanted to get dads involved. And Amanda started to do research and met with a representative in HR about what needed to be changed. I got a lot of pushback. And it was it was surprising that she pushed back so much because she had just had a baby. And so it was very interesting to me to get her take that it was great that we were able to use sick time and vacation time to extend it. And it was up to the manager's discretion. And she thought the, those were all really positive things. And I wasn't expecting that. I, I wasn't expecting that response. And when I brought up the fact that manager's discretion makes for a lot of inequity in the amount of leave someone could get versus another person, her response was, um, she asked, why would we reward bad employees with generous leave time if they don't have a good relationship with their manager? And I just, I, I think I took a minute with my mouth, like agape, because I could not think of a proper professional response in that moment beyond, wait, what? <laughs> so I, I didn't respond at that time. I said, you know, I, I would love to address that when I have a chance to really formulate my thoughts to come up with the response that I think you'll hear. And I didn't say this to her, but I, I was like, I need to take the emotion out of it because I was very ready to share my emotional thoughts regarding that response. <laughs> and I, I think the other people who had worked in HR, who I addressed my desire to take a look at this leave and i I had gotten positive responses, but also I noticed with the older employees who I had been talking to, especially when I was going up the levels and up the chain to say, this is something that I want to work on. The older women specifically were not as enthused as I thought they would be. And I think their mentality was, well, we did it without any leave. 
you know, we weren't paid for our time off and we came back to work at, you know, six weeks, eight weeks. So that should be the norm. We did it. Why can't you? Okay, so real talk. I have heard about this sort of thing too many times. And it's honestly, it's still hard to hear people who could be our allies, who may have even been through this themselves, pushing back against these changes. And I just, it just makes me think like that's how powerful these norms and expectations are, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, insisting things stay hard for everyone just because they were hard for you. Yeah. Creating a culture where women are convinced that other women do not deserve better. Uh, that's capitalistic patriarchy in a nutshell. So before we continue Amanda's story, I want to get into more about why change at companies is such an important part of the overall effort to get better paid family leave for the whole country. It really is about culture change and what, as a society, we deem acceptable. So when some big companies come out with better paid leave policies, it does put pressure on others in their industry to do the same in order to compete for workers. And when others in the industry are doing it, it makes it harder for companies to say no. Okay, so real talk, I hate turning to private business and corporations to be quote-unquote leaders and to (laughs) set the standard. But sure, yeah, in this case, let's use the free market to our advantage in this one in a million instance where it could actually help us. One in a million. Let's work it. Okay, (laughs) so (laughs) making change at individual organizations and companies can set a precedent for national policy down the road. These are definitely interrelated. And it impacts Mm -hmm. not just people who work there now. This is also about future employees and setting culture many years down the road. That's right. Part of the point of being here is to make things better for everyone, for people who come after us. Also, if companies know they have to do this and fund this on their own, It makes so much sense for them to want the government to help fund this. Yes. I mean, small businesses especially, but all businesses. I really think this needs to be talked about more. Like, federal paid family leave could totally just be framed as a business subsidy to help retain workers. Like, just call it that. (laughs) Yes. Come on, capitalists. (laughs) Get with the program. Get on the paid family leave train. Okay. So this gets us back to our story with Amanda. Now... Amanda was in the process of trying to get better paid parental leave at her workplace, inspired in part by our episode with Aaron Grau. Okay, and by the way, Amanda is one of the amazing double shifters who comes to our members-only Zoom hangouts. If you join our membership and support the show, you get to connect with moms like her. Just a little plug. Um, And at the hangout, Amanda, with a baby at her side, talked more about her story and the attitudes she kept encountering. She talked about one of the strategies she learned to make the case for a more robust leave policy, in part by taking a monetary value and actually putting it on the baby themselves. 
And saying that mothers who are able to care for their children at a young age are less likely to have to take sick days because the infant is less likely to get sick. And mothers who have that support in terms of their mental health and have the time and ability to recover are less likely to take sick days, which means more money in your pocket as a company. And it really all does tie back to capitalism. And if this is the only thing that they're going to listen to, let's, you know, let's bust it wide open. Oh, capitalism. <laughs> it does always seem to come back to that. I know, but the data is there. Really, just make such a compelling financial argument that it will help the bottom line that they have to say yes. This is really just a great strategy. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the truth is that businesses care more about their bottom line than people. So if that works, let's go with it. So Amanda and her team focus on the business case for why actually strong paid leave is better for the organization, that it would actually cost less if they offered more leave through employee retention, loyalty, satisfaction, and productivity. And when they were putting their presentation together, they asked for a bunch of things, including making up the difference between what the state of Massachusetts had been paying to get employees to 100% paid leave for drum roll, 18 to 20 weeks, and standardizing the policy across the organization so it wasn't up to the manager's discretion. Right. And in my opinion, this one is a really big deal, especially for workers of color and others whose boss's discretion might be impacted by bias, whether that's unconscious or otherwise. So Amanda and her team had put together a whole pitch deck, but then they were told they needed to wait to present it to leadership until there was a new chief people officer. So this is an important part of the story because part of getting changes like this is keeping at it. It can take a long time. It can take months or even years, but Amanda didn't give up when faced with this roadblock either. So I had done all of this work and it was amazing to build this foundation and set the team up for success so that when the chief people officer came on board, we could fill them in to say, this is something that we've been working on for quite some time. Really, it's your voice who's going to help us carry it across the finish line. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to be a part of that because I got laid off on June 1st of 2020. Amanda, like so many other people, lost her job during the early months of the pandemic. But that didn't stop her from reaching out to the new chief people officer, who was finally in place in July 2020, more than a year after Amanda started the committee. And so I found out, I want to say it was three or four months after that, the changes that we had asked for, they, they got accepted and they implemented it. It was really, um, I'm trying to think of the, the right word. It was vindicating, knowing that that got approved and knowing that this continued beyond my tenure and it really did happen. And it wasn't just a project that was in vain. And one of my good friends who was my coworker there, she's taking advantage of that policy right now. It makes me happy. And it, it was also 
sad because I had found out that I was pregnant the week after I got laid off. So I was not able to take advantage of this amazing leave policy that I had worked so hard to create. But I left the company better than it was when I arrived and that was my goal. Amanda now has a new job as a creative director and has a baby as well as her older son who is four. Thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing your story. We are thrilled that Aaron Grau and the Double Shift were part of your inspiration. And Amanda's not the only Double Shift listener spurred to action by Aaron's story. Carly McNeil is 30 years old with two children. She's a gas engineer in Michigan for a utility company, an industry that is predominantly white and male. When she was bringing up the topic of the company's leave policy with some colleagues, the typical response went something like, Yeah, my kid was born on a Saturday and I was back to work on Monday. Like, why do you need more time? But just like Amanda, those entrenched attitudes didn't dissuade her from forging a new path. But of course, changing the leave policy at her company wasn't going to be easy. And in addition to parental leave, Carly also started thinking about a more expansive view of caregiving and what workers need beyond support after welcoming a new child. That's all coming up. So... Back in 2019, engineer Carly McNeil was struggling physically and mentally back at work after the birth of her first child. She had no access to paid parental leave, just eight weeks paid medical leave as a birthing parent who had a C-section. Carly used vacation days to supplement to get to 12 weeks for recovery, which left very little vacation time once she returned to work. And side note, can we just say once and for all, Time off of work to recover from a physically traumatic event and bond with a tiny newborn baby who never sleeps is not a vacation. (laughs) Can we please stop making people use vacation time for this? Oh, my God. Please. It's just so absurd. (laughs) Okay. So, deep breath. Carly found the double shift. Yes. And when she heard the episode with Aaron Grau... Carly was like, hot damn, I can do that. Yes, that was her voice at the top of the show. Hot damn, Carly can do that. (laughs) Carly found a group of like-minded coworkers at her company who wanted better paid leave like she did. But they were told that the company's leave policy was benchmarked. So apparently benchmark means the policy was considered comparable and competitive with others in the utilities industry. I'm like, okay, that means HR isn't going to fight for us. So I'm going to make you say no. Like, I'm not asking for permission to write the business case, right? I'm going to write it regardless. Telling me it's probably not going to happen isn't enough to stop me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make them say no. I'm going to put all the information out there, lay it out, and honestly write a business case where they feel like crap for saying no. Part of the business case they put together was that the company wasn't just looking for talent within their industry, 
but from their whole region. So their leave options needed to be more competitive with all companies in the area, not just the utility companies. This is a really smart argument. I think one people should use as much as possible. So just as it was for Amanda, the appeal is basically that better paid leave would help the company's bottom line. And guess what? It worked. Carly and her team eventually got what they asked for, and they made changes that also aimed to challenge who were thought of as caregivers to include all family configurations. So something that mothers, fathers, people that just identify as parents, not something based off of gender or biology, but based off of family. So now the policy is like whenever a child comes into your life, whether it's you birth a child, your partner births a child, you adopt a child, you foster a child, everybody gets four months. So everybody gets 16 weeks fully paid. That 16 weeks can be used up front or it can be used any time over the course of a year with an extra eight weeks for 24 weeks total for a birthing parent. 24 weeks total. Yeah. I mean, can we just say, go Carly. Yes. So go Carly, because Carly was told nothing was going to change. She ignored it. She got a group together to advocate and went from essentially no paid parental leave to up to 24 weeks. I mean, it gives me chills to just say that. And by the way, Carly was able to use this policy when her second kid was born. Double go Carly. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited that in this case, she put all this work in and got to benefit from herself. Yeah. You know, she should be able to do that. It's incredible. And, you know, another thing that is really worth emphasizing, this is not just about moms recovering from childbirth. And Carly's group did some really good work advocating for this. So... Offering men and spouses and adoptive parents robust family leave and encouraging them to take it reduces bias against women in the workplace. Because if men and women are equally likely to take parental leave, it's no longer considered a liability to hire women of childbearing age. And just another thing I want to add, one piece of research I love is that time off to bond with a new child makes dads more likely to be involved caregivers long past when the leave is up. It benefits families and it benefits workplaces way, way more than dads coming back to work on a Monday after their child was born on the weekend. So while Carly has only been able to tackle parental leave so far, the issue of improving leave in workplaces beyond welcoming a child is really close to her heart. In 2016, my dad passed away. He was in and out of the hospital. Um, It was only like a three-week time frame from when we we knew how sick he was to when he passed away. And I couldn't get the time off work to be with my dad. I worked at a plant at the time, so it was very, the value was button seat time, being physically there. And so I couldn't get remote work approved. And it ended up like I, I wasn't home when my dad passed away and was only there on the weekends and it was a really rough time. And I'm like, why? Like at such a sensitive time in my life, I was so worried about being paid and worried about whether I could make it to work or should make it to work when really like 
if a company really values their employees, that's when they should be supporting their employees the most, right? And money talks and money is support. So pay your employees when they need it, you know? So, and that's still heavy on my heart thinking, how can this be bigger past just parents? Carly brings up such an important point about paid leave needing to be about more than just caring for a new family member. The federal leave policy under consideration right now is not just for new parents, but anyone who needs time off to care for a loved one, which will be all of us at some point in our lives. So I am personally totally inspired by Carly, Amanda, and Aaron who we did the original show on, but I want to just take a step back and discuss how race and class are playing into these efforts. Um, So Amanda and Aaron are white, and while Carly's mom is Mexican and Carly identifies as Latinx, she says she looks white and does not experience discrimination that people of color do. So I just want to say, and I've been following this issue for about five years, and I've definitely noticed that paid leave is an issue we see a lot of advocacy on from white-collar white ladies. I mean, not exclusively at all, but this is definitely a thing. Yeah, I'm here for this uh, discussion of this and (laughs) this conversation because, you know, I think as women of color, we sometimes feel like we... We, if white women care about it, then more people will notice, hmm. right? So I see that there's a need to to um, let white women talk about this and maybe even lead, but it is an issue that affects everyone and has been affecting women of color uh, more and probably for longer. Yeah, I think those are really important points. And Amanda reflected with us that she realizes she has racial privilege in being able to advocate for herself and other parents and workplaces, like as you're talking about, Angela, in ways that others might not feel comfortable doing. So, I mean, I think personally as a white woman, it's important to interrogate if, you know, in situations like this, if I'm using my privilege to not just help myself or to just further my own ideas of what needs to change. Like those are important questions white women need to ask ourselves. Right. So if you're building coalitions for change at work or in life, and your group is mostly white-collar white ladies, I think it's important that you ask yourself, why is that the case, right? Who's been left out? Who feels welcome in this work and this community that I'm building, and why? And whose perspectives are you completely missing? If you are changing policy, you got to fight to be sure it extends to hourly workers and workers in every part of the company, right? That's how you create meaningful change. So I caught up with Erin Grout to tell her we were making this show about the impact of her work on our listener community. When we created the policy at the Times, we didn't think it would be a blueprint for organizations. We did it thinking, like, this is the best thing for the employees at the New York Times, the ones that we have now and the ones that we want to attract. And it's so amazing what an impact it's actually had on other organizations. It's just been so cool to watch. When people ask you what you would have done differently, what's your answer? I mean, I wish we had focused more broadly on caregivers. We were so focused on the period of time around welcoming a child into your family. That's just the stage of life we were in. And now that I'm further down in my parenting journey. There are just so many challenges and moments I would need more support. 
I mean, I totally hear this and I can relate. You know, as moms, especially like in the early days of parenting, we talk a lot about how when we are struggling through the day to day, these care really intense caregiving moments that we're in. Um, and it can be hard to see the big picture, yeah. which is that these babies grow into toddlers. These toddlers grow into children and they never stop needing care, but the needs shift, you know. And the thing I also keep thinking about when I hear from these women, Erin, Carly, Amanda, and so many more, is that they were always thinking beyond the moment they were in. Right. And they were working to make this change on top of their jobs, like their jobs for pay and, mm -hmm. you know, their big caregiving responsibilities, you know, having young children. And even though they shouldn't have had to be the ones doing all this extra work, that's right. They shouldn't have had to, <laughs> but they did it so mm -hmm. that the parents that came next would have it better than they did. And Erin takes a lot of pride in being part of inspiring women to do that. Um, so she no longer works at the New York Times, but Erin still wants to support people who want to make change in their organizations. I remain available and open to messages on LinkedIn from women or men too <laughs> that want to make real change in their organization. We have totally open sourced all of the work that we did. We happily share with every person who's ever come to us to ask. Um, and so please keep working and fighting and reaching out. Erin continues this work, but now as more than a volunteer gig. She co-founded a company earlier this year called Charter, which helps workplaces become more dynamic and equitable. And she says this moment, this moment of history that we're in, is not just a moment of transition for workplaces, but potentially for large-scale transformative change. We're linking to the first article I wrote that included Aaron's story, which I wrote back in 2017, along with some helpful resources in the show notes for how to do this kind of work in your own company. Like Erin said, reach out to her and you don't need LinkedIn to get this access. Check the show notes. Thanks to Erin and Carly and Amanda and to you, Double Shifters. I know you're tired. <laughs> so tired. I'm so tired too. <laughs> <laughs> so tired. But this is our moment. And so if you're thinking about how your workplace needs a better family leave policy or really any kind of policy, this is a reminder that change really is possible, especially when you're able to appeal to the bottom line and how determined groups of employees can make a real difference for themselves and the people who come after them. Whether you are out there lobbying your senators, writing letters to state representatives, or agitating for your change at your company of 10,000 people or your company of five people, you know, nothing is too small. Yeah. Right? This is all part of a larger movement that makes a difference. This is absolutely part of a movement. And I'm seeing so much energy around this issue, really like never before, around the federal legislation, as well as grassroots efforts to organize moms around paid leave and beyond. Um, there's a new one called the Chamber of Mothers, of which Erin Grau is a founding mother, modeled after the Chamber of Commerce, and they are up to some really exciting stuff. Um, so that is a great way to get involved. Check the show notes for that too. 
Don't forget to go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. It starts at just $5 a month. We are a small business, and if this work means something to you, it would mean so much to us if you became a member. We are having a blast doing these monthly hangouts where we get together with inspiring people like Amanda and Carly. And remember, Double Shift members get an ad-free show, and we cannot make this show without you. Also, what I want for Christmas is for you, listener, to sign up for our newsletter. <laughs> so give me the Christmas gift I need and deserve, and because this is the best way for us to stay in touch with you about our plans and all things Double Shift. New things are coming in the new year, and I want you to know about them without being subject to the whims of the social media gods. So please sign up. I won't spam you, I promise. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter or to the link in the show notes. The Double Shift is created and hosted by me, Katherine Goldstein. Our co-host is Angela Garbez. Our senior producer is Rachel McCarthy. Our producer is Olivia Richardson. Our editor is Anita Rao. Our research assistant is Jada Hester. Music by Travis Morrison and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Palehound. Our mixer is Corey Schreppel. We're funded in part by the generous support of you, our members. We can't do this without you. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. We are independently produced and distributed. Thanks for being part of the Double Shift.